Hi, um, I want to talk to you about marriage and I think marriage is the basic foundation of what we build our faith on. Marriage was the intention when God created us that one day we would marry Jesus and he had this in mind when he, when he instituted um, marriage. But before we get to that, we need to get to a place where we fall madly in love with him first. We can't marry someone that we don't love. And to fall madly in love with him, we need to hear his voice. We need to hear him personally. Not just read the Bible and hear God speak from the word, but also to physically hear him speak to us in a personal way, a way that we understand that is different from each other. Some understand in pictures, some understand in jokes, some is very serious. And, and God will speak to you in that personal way. And if you cannot hear him, it's impossible to fall in love because you cannot fall in love with someone that you cannot speak to, that you can have a, a conversation with and, and learn to know the specific character of, of someone. So that is very important for um, us to be ready to get into a marriage. So marriage, like I said, it was God's intention from the beginning that we would one day marry Jesus. And he is doing all the wooing. He is showering us with love and he is um, initiating the courtship. And at a stage, we have to either accept his love or reject his love. There's no middle way. So to start off, we're going to start in Genesis and then we're going to jump to Esther and we're going to jump back and forth between Genesis and Esther in the beginning just so I can create the picture and color it in a bit. So in Genesis 2 verse 18 to 20 it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is right for him. And this is what I need you to focus on. It is, I will make him a helper who is right for him. And from the ground, God formed every wild animal and every bird in the sky, and he brought them to the man so that man could name them. Whatever the man called each living thing, that became its name. Then the man gave names to all the tamed animals, to the birds in the sky and to the wild animals. But Adam did not find a helper that was right for him. So did God make a mistake when he looked at Adam and he saw that it's not good for Adam to be alone? No, God did not make a mistake. God just said there that Adam is perfect on his own, but it's to Adam's benefit if he has a help. And he is going to give Adam the perfect help. And I need you to notice here that Adam had to work. He had to name the animals and he had to see for himself that in everything God created, nothing in there was the perfect help for him. They were not the ones to be the help. Then we're going to jump to Esther and we're going to read in Esther 1 verse 11 to 15. And verse 11 reads, He commanded them to bring Queen Vasti wearing her royal crown. 
She was to come to show her beauty to the people and important men because she was very beautiful. The Enochs told Queen Vasti about the king's command, but she refused to come. The king became very angry. So his anger was like a burning fire. It was a custom for the king to ask advice from experts about law and order. So King Xerxes spoke with the wise men who would know the right thing to do. Before I carry on, I just need us to know certain things before we carry on. First of all, the king wanted to show everybody how beautiful his queen is. And if you read Song of Songs from Solomon, you'll see that that is exactly what Jesus thinks about us. He thinks we're beautiful and he wants to show us off. And when we were called into his um, courtroom, into his um, presence, we sometimes refuse. We refuse to come up higher. We refuse to, to be intimate with him. And also then we're going to read on from verse 14 and it says the wise men the king usually talked to and I'm not going to try and say the names I'm just going to say that there were seven seven of the important men of Persian media these seven had special privileges to see the king and had the highest rank in the kingdom and you need to know that there were seven seven is completeness it's full circle um, Nothing lacking. It's a God number. The third day, the seventh day, um, referring to, to God. So, and these seven men, which is righteous people, has got special privileges because we have a privilege to enter into the throne room. So the king asked them, what does the Lord say must be done to Queen Vasti? She has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes, which the Enoch took to her. Yet again, he didn't ask them for their worldly opinion. He asked them what God wanted to be done. You see, if you're a righteous person, you have to know the rules of God. You have to, to know the kingdom that you're walking in, um, what, what is applying to their lifestyle and um, what is good for the citizens of that country and we in in God's kingdom so we need to know the rules so that when we give advice it is not our opinions but it is truly God's advice that we're giving that is what God would want to be done and this is um, the reply so Memkin that's one of the seven whose name means to prepare certain true, said to the king and to the other important men, Queen Vasti has not done wrong to the king alone. She has also done wrong to all the important men and to all the people in all the in empire of King Xerxes. You see, when we do wrong to the king, we're not only doing wrong to him, we're also doing wrong to the body, the church, the other believers. 
we're also doing wrong to the world out there because we set an example. They look at us as the bride, as the queen on what is right and what is wrong. And that is what has been said there. In this piece, the king demanded absolute obedience, even more so from the queen. And we read on in Esther 17 to 20, and it says there, All the wives of the important men of Persian media will hear about the queen's actions. They will no longer honor their husbands. They will say King Xerxes commanded Queen Vasti to be brought to him, but she refused to come. Today, the wives of the important men of Persia and Media have heard about the Queen's actions. So they will speak in the same way to their husbands, and there will be no end to disrespect and anger. And we can see it when we look in the lives of Christians, not, not even looking that far out there in the, in the world, we can see that people get married and all of a sudden there is disrespect and no honor and there's anger and resentment it should not be there but it is today the wives of the important men of persian media um okay yes so verse 19 so our king if it pleases you give a royal order and let it be written in the laws of persian media which cannot be changed the law should say, Vasi is never to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Father, may I never be removed from your presence. Holy Spirit, help me to obey and be obedient when you tell me to do something. Also, let the king give her place as queen to someone who is better than she is. Father, I don't want to be replaced. Not that I think that I am better than anybody else, but because I want to do my best for you. What I offer you, I want it to be good enough to stay in your presence. And let the king's order be announced everywhere in his enormous kingdom. Then, all the women will respect their husbands from the greatest to the least. That's hard when we hear that word. Queen Vasti caused women all over to despise, disrespect and have anger towards their men, towards their husbands, towards the leaders of the household. There's a warning in this and the warning is that the way you treat your physical husband, what does it say about your relationship with your spiritual husband? If you don't have a husband yet, how do you treat your leader, your father? Because that is how you will treat your spiritual life when it comes to um, doing things for Christ, serving Him, obeying Him. Now we're going to jump back to Genesis and we're going to carry on. We'll read up to 20, 
20, so we're going to start on, on 21, and it says, So the Lord God caused the man to sleep deeply, and while he was asleep, God removed one of the man's ribs. Then God closed up the man's skin at the place where he took the rib. The Lord God used the rib from the man to make a woman, and then he brought the man, oh, the woman, to the man. Only in verse 21 did God create the perfect help. He didn't create the perfect help when he saw that Adam, there wasn't good for him to be alone. He waited. He first created animals and then he took the animals to Adam and Adam had to name all the animals and then only he created Eve. Because Adam had to know that he is perfect on his own. He can do the work that God gives him to do. But that it's better for him to have a help. Adam also had to wait for his perfect help. He had to wait and see that everything that God created is not the help that he was looking for. So Eve came from Adam's rib, which is over here. It doesn't matter which side you prefer to take the rib from, but it's from the side. The rib is where the arm is. So the rib is taken so that the arm can protect the wife. It's in this area. So you can protect the wife and still fight or protect the wife and fight. doesn't matter which way you want to do this. But it's also to embrace the wife. So men, please protect your wives. Honor them. Love them and cherish them. Because that's why she's taken here so it's easy for you to do that. Wives, you were taken from the side, the ribcage, which protects the heart. So you are to protect your husband's heart. And how do you protect your husband's heart, you might think. And I think one of many examples, which is a good one, is 1 Corinthians 13, which says that love covers a multitude of sin. We have to cover the mistakes, not hide them. Cover them. And we're going to come back to that just now. When there's trouble and strife in your marriage and things are not going so well, you have to take his heart and yours to God's chamber and, and say to God that there's something wrong with this gift that you've given me. Please Will you make me understand why certain things are being done in a certain way because we react out of our past. The way we do things, the way we think is, is a reaction of things that happened to us. And help me to understand what happened to him that he acts the way that he acts. Help me to forgive and forget don't let bitterness come sit in my heart so that I can do the job that I needed to do. That is how, that is how we cover the heart. We cover the heart in prayer. Um, and we cover the heart with love.
Genesis 2 verse 23 reads, And a man said, uh, and the man said, Adam now, Now this is someone whose bones came from my bones, whose body came from my body. I will call her woman, because she was taken out of man. Together, they are one unit, because she came from him. So it's like a, a puzzle. Um, and if there's one piece missing, you can still see the picture. You can still have an idea what's going on there. Uh, a pretty good idea, because one piece is not defecting the whole image. But when that final piece fits in there, it's, it's complete. It's, it's a complete unit. It's rounded off. It's full. So when God looks at a home or marriage or family, he sees one unit. He doesn't see husband, wife, children. He sees one unit. So Esther 2, we've, ju we've jumped now to Esther 2 and we're going to read verse 12. And it says, before a girl could turn could take a turn with King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments that were ordered for the woman. For six months she was treated with oil and myrrh, and for six months with perfume and cosmetics. And for now, I just want us to focus um, on the 12 months. It's Esther 12. It's Esther 2 verse 12, I mean. And for 12 months, she had to complete um, the beauty treatments. 12 is perfect covenants. For 12 months, she had to prepare herself to come in line with the governments, governance of the um, kingdom that she's going to step into. Esther had to wait 12 months. And in that 12 months, she had to work on herself. And she not just had to look good. She had to know how to be a queen. She had to know what was expected of her, what she can do, what she can't do, um, what the government, um, governance rules was, how the country was reigned. She had to be brought up to speed so that she can be equal to her king. Because Song of Songs also says that we have to be the king's equal. He actually calls us his equal. But we have to grow to that place where we are his equal. So we have to know the physical rules for marriage. So that we can be prepared for the spiritual marriage. We have to be brought to a place where we are ready to step into this marriage. So that one day we can be able to step into the marriage with Jesus. I want you to note that Esther didn't have a relationship with the king until she was ready. That to me says that marriage is a big deal. Waiting for God to present your spouse to you is a big deal. And preparing to be a husband or a wife is a big deal. Nobody taught me how to be a wife. Nobody taught me what marriage was going to be like and what I should know um, 
to do in a marriage. What, what I learned from marriage was what I saw around me, what I picked up maybe um, between my mom and my dad, and what the world portrayed, what um, social media and the TV portrayed. Um, I didn't learn to cook so that I can cook for my husband one day. I learned to cook because there was things that I wanted to make um, and eat, which is a benefit for my husband because I can cook. But I didn't learn to cook so that I can cook for my husband one day. And there's a lot of other examples I can use. We need to understand that God initiated two institutions. The first one was marriage, home, family. That's the first institution. The second institution was church, fellowship, the body of Christ, um, which is the same thing. So in, in, in marriage, in a home, we have a structure which Jesus is the head and the husband is under Jesus, then it's the wife and then it's the children and it's got nothing to do with power or authority. It's just that is the way God decided to hand it down and we'll see later on why. There was a very specific reason why it was placed that way. Not so that the one underneath you is lower than you and you can use them or abuse them or whatever reason you think. Um, and in church, there's also a structure. It's Jesus is the head of the body or the leader of the church. Then it's the leaders of the church. And then it's the mature um, people in the church and, or the body. And then it's the immature people, um, the newborns in, in the body. So in rent, the two um, institutions he made is the same. It's, it's exactly the same institution. And we're going to talk a, a little bit about that. And in the first institution, um, there's a few things that I should know when we talk about marriage. Okay. And I am a gift from God to my husband and he to me. And now you might think, okay, so what if I didn't wait for God to give me my, my gift? Or maybe you're not married yet and you're thinking, I don't want to wait for God to give me my gift. There's certain things that, that you should be aware of um, and how to deal with the things. Okay? First of all, if you did that or if you're thinking of doing that, you are very, very selfish. And it's all about me, myself and I. And that I think I know better than God. Secondly, if I took the vow or if I'm going to take that vow, I'm taking it before God. And um, what I said in that vow is that I will look after my gift as good as God would. That is what we say in our vows. And um, there's an unspoken rule that says that I have to give him back to God in a better state or at least the same state than I found him in or that he was 
than when he was given to me. And I'm going to come back to that statement as well a little bit later on. It also says that my spouse will be placed before me always. In all circumstances, I will place him first because that is what Jesus did for us. That is what Jesus did for the church. He died for us. He gave us his everything, his last little bit that he had to give. He gave it to us so that we can have the best. And in that same way, I have to treat my husband. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. I also thought that. If he's not doing God's will, do I still have to place him first? Before you came to Christ, and did you do God's will? He still gave himself to you. So yes, even if he's not following God and he's not obeying the rules and he's not treating you nice, um, you still have to place him first, always. That means that I will need to pray and stay close to Jesus and the Holy Spirit because I'm going to need it and it's not going to be easy. And there's going to be consequences for the decision I made. And I need him to help me through those consequences. You see, there's going to be two viewpoints, opinions. Whether you both Christians, um, when you got married, but you didn't wait for God. There's still going to be two viewpoints, two opinions. And if one of you is a believer and the other one not, oh word. That opinion just differed so much more now. And um, only the Holy Spirit can help you and teach you on how to act and what to do in the situations you're going to find yourself in. Your partner is not going to act the way you would like him to. How am I going to react when he reacts in ways that he's not supposed to? Like he acted because he deserves it? No, you have to place him first. You have to love him. Yep, if your spouse is not a believer, you're going to have double the trouble. Even triple the trouble. And you're going to have Holy Spirit right next to you. Well, you're going to have to have him there. You're going to need to pray and pray and pray because not everything runs as smoothly as we always wanted to. God sees the household as one unit. And you picked the leader if you're a wife. You picked your leader that's going to lead your household. And if you're the husband, you picked your help that's going to help you in this marriage. Can't blame God when things go wrong. It doesn't matter where you got married and under who you got married. It's still God's institution. Whether you were a believer or an, a non-believer, that's still God's institution. You still indirectly vowed to Him to love the gift that you chose for yourself. It's like gravity. You cannot say, just because I didn't know of gravity, 
when I walk off the roof, I'm not going to fall. It's the same principle. You make promises and you're bound by those promises and you should honor those promises. I cannot blame God for my mistake. I, I have to take responsibility for my mistakes. I have to acknowledge that it was my mistake and that I was selfish in making that mistake. I didn't want to wait for him or wait for his plan. I have to know that I was the one that didn't want to wait. I was the one that thought I knew better than him. I was sinning when I got married. Uh, and might be out of lust or I was just lost in the world and I didn't know all these things. Or because I was rebellious when I got married. I want to show someone something. I want to make a point. It was still my choice. And also, it's one thing to acknowledge my mistakes. But I have also got to know that I cannot blame God for the consequences that's going to be in my marriage because I did not wait for Him. Because there's going to be consequences and we've got to deal with those consequences when they come. Because even if God gave you your gift, there's still going to be strife and problems in the marriage. And just because He gave it to you doesn't mean that person is perfect yet. We're still in the world. We're still trying to get rid of the world. So if you didn't wait, your troubles are just going to heap up on top of the troubles that there is. What should I learn about all the things that I've just heard? I should learn that the way I treat my spouse is the way I'm going to treat Jesus in certain and spiritual areas of my life. That spiritual area that is not running so smoothly in my marriage, the way I see my husband or trust my husband or submit under my husband is the same um, thing that's going to be a problem in my spiritual life. If I love my husband and I submit to my husband and I um, honor my husband, it's going to be easy for me to do that in my spiritual life. And the way I treat and see my father is the way I'm going to treat and see God. So why do I bring, bring father into marriage? What's my father got to do with this? Because you, if you're in a household, at a stage you had a father. And how you treat your father is how you're going to treat God. How you see your father is how you're going to see God. The problems you're having with your father of what you had with your father is the problems you're going to have with God in your spiritual life. That's why it's important to be trained in these things. Because with what am I stepping into my marriage? What am I taking in there? I see I'm taking in there a lot of brokenness, a lot of selfishness, a lot of chaos. And I'm expecting that out of the chaos and the brokenness, something good must come from it. Um, something more whole than I'm, what I'm taking there is going to come out of it. My marriage is my practice round for what I'm going to do and how I'm going to act when I'm married 
to the King of Kings, when I'm going to be the Queen. And I need to understand marriage. I need to um, know, I need to get trained in, in what it is that marriage is all about and what is expected of me when I step into a marriage. And now I'm just going to jump the gun. And I'm going to say that we here at Gnosko do not believe in relationships before marriage. And I know the first thing is, where in the Bible does it say that we're not allowed to have relationships? And I'm going to take you there right now. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 32 to 34. It says, I want you to be free from worry. A man who is not married is busy with the Lord's work, trying to please the Lord. But a man who is married is busy with the things of the world, trying to please his wife. He must think on two things, pleasing his wife and pleasing the Lord. A woman who is not married or a girl who has never married is busy with the Lord's work. She wants to be holy in body and in spirit, but a married woman is busy with the things of the world as to how she can please her husband. Nowhere in there does it say a single person is busy with the world. I am a piece of the world because I am still trying to get rid of the world that is in me. And it doesn't say that single person, single people are, are busy with things of the world. It says they focused on God. So God's intent with Adam and Eve in the beginning was that we should freely choose him. He showered us with love and he wooed us and he caught us so that we can see how good and how pure his love is so that we can, out of our own, choose him. Yeah, that it, it will be because we... We, we understand something of his love that we want to love him back and that we want to only have him, not him and part of the world and him and my husband or him and my children or um, just him, that he alone would be enough for me. The amazing thing is that he loved me so much that he gave me a choice in this. He said, this is what I'm going to do for you. And you can choose if you want me. And he's going to love you until your very last breath in the hopes that if you did not choose him, you will choose him. But to be part of his royalty, he will have to make a choice at some stage. You will have to finally step out of one kingdom into another kingdom and not hold on to one kingdom with your one hand and use it as a back door for if something in the other kingdom is not going away. With your whole heart, you will leave everything and step into the unknown. That is, that is what he's asking you, that you will trust him and 
Be so sure of his love that you will be able and willing to leave the old world and step into a brand new world that you don't know much of. The first institution, which is the home or the marriage, which the end result was marrying him. So what am I to do if I am in a marriage and how should I walk this thing in my marriage? What am I supposed to learn? What was I supposed to learn if I didn't learn um, before I got married? And if you're lucky enough and you're not married yet, what am I supposed to learn before I get involved there? Okay, first of all, I have to be spiritually whole and healthy. Because if I'm not whole and healthy, there is no ways that I will be able to place someone else before me all the time. That I must know that God is giving me the perfect gift. It is His gift to me. He was chosen or she was chosen from billions for you. And vice versa. You were chosen out of billions for your spouse. And James 1 verse 17 says that every good gift comes from God. And I know I'm a good gift because God said He's going to make Adam the perfect gift. So I am a perfect gift. I must just make sure that I'm the perfect gift for the perfect person. And if, if I'm not, if I didn't wait and I'm not sure whether I'm still the perfect gift for that person, you are. God still made you a perfect help. You're just going to need extra help in staying the course and, and, and knowing what God wants from you. I have to know that I have to guard this gift that God's giving me. Because one day, I will have to give it back to God in a better state than I received it in, or at least the same state. So let's go over to talking about this unspoken rule. There's this unspoken rule that when I borrow something from somebody, that I must give it back in a better state, or at least the same state that I received it in. And in this, when, when you borrow something, this can work because sometimes you cannot give it back in a better state because that's the only state that it can be in. But I want you to, to read one of the examples of um, this rule that we're speaking about. And that you'll find in Matthew 25 verse um, 14 to 25. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to go over that. And in there it's telling about this master that's going away and he's giving money to his servants and he's expecting the servants to work the money for him. So when he came back, he expected that money to work for him. And the one that gave the peace back to him, just as he received it, he made that master very angry. He took the money from him and gave it to someone who knew how to work with it, how, how to make it better. So my suggestion to you is that 
the state that you're going to give your husband back to God must be in a better state. And there's no ways that you can make your husband better from just by yourself. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to be at that place where I can serve my husband and by serving him, making him a better person. Because to be second is not easy. It's hard to, to always be second. So the next question they normally ask after where in the Bible does it say, they, the question is, so when do I know that I'm ready for marriage? And please take note. When am I ready for marriage, not relationship? Okay, we're going to know when we're ready in the second institution, in the body, in the church, in the fellowship that you're in. This is where you're going to test yourself to see if I'm ready for marriage. Because in the second institution, you have to serve. We call to serve. And you have to be willing to serve in little things without being noticed or being praised and be um, and see it as a privilege to serve in that little way to um, get excited when someone in the body um, gets spiritually or fleshly promoted and I'm not even if they, they're in a shorter period than I am and they get spiritually, spiritually promoted and I'm not. I still have to be excited for them and be content with where I am. Not content in my spiritual growth because I have to grow. I cannot stand still. But content at where I'm serving God and do a good job at serving God at that place where I am. Happy when I see others in the body spiritually grow and, and take leaps and bounds and they get to places where I'm not yet. When I can place others before my own needs. When I have a great need and I can still place someone else in front of my own great need. When I can love you, even if we differ in opinion and don't see eye to eye. It doesn't mean that I have to bry with you um, and visit with you every other day. It means that when you need help, I will be there for you. When it's not going well with you, I will have sympathy and I will love you in the best way possible by serving you with whatever you're going to need at that moment. Even if it's just to pray for you. Even if I can't help in any physical way. But that my prayer will be sincere and from the heart. That I will be willing to be lost or least. And when I wrote that, I saw this picture that if I am the lost born in a family, I am going to be the lost born. There's no ways I can jump, jump ranks or move up the ladder. That's my position. 
I'm lost in the family and I'm going to stay lost. The only way that I'm going to have some kind of a promotion is when somebody leaves the family and I will get the privileges that they have, but I'm still going to be lost. Actually, it's selfish to want a position, to not be content with where I am. Because that means that I have to push someone out of their position so that I can take the place. And then the last thing is that I will be willing to fight for you because you are mine. And I'm going to say it again, that I will be willing to fight for you because you are mine. I see you struggling, backsliding, falling away. That I will beg God, I will pray for you and I will talk to you and I will reach out in love to you so that you will not fall away, that you will stay with me. You see, the second institution is the same as the first institution. The first institution is more intimate. Marriage is more intimate than the church institution. And if I can draw a parallel, when, when God works with us, He works from top to bottom. He serves us down. And when we um, work, we work from the bottom to the top. So we work our way to God. So when I serve, I serve down, not because I look down on you, it's because I'm receiving it from the top and I'm giving it to the one that hasn't had it yet. So they down. They, that's where the, the, the ladder is. Because if you have that knowledge and you move up and you learn the next thing. Um, it's, it's just so that you can see how does this work. So we start at the bottom and we start in the body and we practice in the body on how to put someone before me and how to work in a marriage. And then we're going to move into the marriage. And also the, the body is like the outer court of the temple. And then we move from the outer court of the temple into the inner sanctuary, which is the marriage. And then from the inner sanctuary, the marriage, we're going to move into the ultimate marriage, the holies of holies, where we're going to spend our time for eternity. I was always wondering, how is a man going to know how to be a bride? Because they don't get to practice the role of a bride, of a wife, of a woman. They only get to practice to be man and a groom and a husband. So how are they going to know how to be a bride for Christ? And God answered me. He said, in the second institution. So where do I slot in? What is my role? And um, where do I fit into all of this? Okay, let's just look at that quickly. So Jesus is the high priest of the church, the body, the temple, which we are part of. Then we get the leaders, which is under um, Jesus, and they are the fathers. And yeah, it's got nothing to do with sex. Because women can also be leaders. Um, so this is where women 
practice men's role. And in certain areas in our uh, Christian walk, women need to step in as leaders. They leaders for their children. Um, they leaders when they work in certain places. They leaders when they need to show other women to be women and wives and, and brides. Um, so, and, and not just in the, those roles. Women can be leaders in the church as well. Um, so the leaders, the fathers, the husbands, what should they do? What is their role? What is their function? Their function is to teach, to instruct, to discipline as they would their own children. And I'm saying this very specifically because I'm going to make a point just now. Fathers sometimes are lucky enough to still have fathers, which is the grandfather for the children. And when they're very lucky, they still, the grandfather still has a father and that's called the great-grandfather. So in this whole um, lineage that I've just mentioned now, whose role is it to raise the kids? If there's a father, a great a grandfather and a great grandfather, whose role is it to raise the kids? It's the father's role. So the grandfather's role would then be what? To love and to spoil to fill in the gaps where the parents don't get to. They might be very busy and they don't get to tend to all the little detail and grandpa or great granddad is there to fill up those little gaps so that the children would be whole. Um, so, but what we see in the world today is we see that People are having children and they're passing it off to the grandparents to raise. And you might think, oh, I, I didn't do that. But in the spiritual world, that's exactly what we do. We have spiritual children that we should look after and we should teach them and train them and correct them. But we only do the parts that we feel comfortable with. And then we pass them on to grandfather and we say, grandfather, you need to do this and this. Normally, that's the discipline part. Will you please sort out this child very disobedient? It's not the grandfather's role. So when will the grandfather then correct and discipline and teach a child and, and do all those things? Only for the small amount of time that that child was left in the care of the grandparent. We call it babysitting. So if the grandparents are babysitting, that is the time when they will correct and teach and do the raising of the kid only for a small, short amount of time. The main responsibility is the parents. So if we read in Colossians 3.19, it says, Husbands, love your wives and be gentle to them. And I just want us to skip on the love part for now. We're going get, to get to that. I want us to focus on the be gentle to them. Love your wife. And be gentler to her means do not be harsh. Talk soft and kind-hearted. Be gentle. 
You can be so blunt sometimes. You're not emotional like, like um, women are. And you tend to shut them out. It's harsh. It's cold out there. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, In the same way your husband should live with your wives in an understanding way. What is an understanding way? It is communication. You should be able to communicate with each other so I can understand why you place something on the table that I'm not ready to take. So I can understand where you're coming from and you can understand why it's not acceptable for me and we can find an understanding midway. Because now I understand your viewpoint and you can understand my viewpoint and it's not the perfect place but somewhere in between we must meet, meet each other and be happy with it. Since they are weaker than you, unfortunately women, that's the truth. We are weaker than men. Our muscles is weaker than men's. Our bones weigh less than men's. We are not built to carry um, emotional stress. That is for man to carry. Yes, we help. We the help. We help to carry those things. But it's their responsibilities. But show them respect because God gives them the same blessing He gives you. The grace that gives true life. And I need us all to think about this. God gives us grace. He's picked man to be the leader. So he showed leader, he showed you grace. Father, he showed you grace. You made many mistakes. You might even did horrible mistakes. He forgave you that. He covered that for you. You need to show the same grace to your wife and your children when they make mistakes. Yes, we need to correct them. But have grace. Do this so that nothing will stop your prayers. There's a promise in doing that. If you do this and you speak to God, it will not hinder his ears from hearing what you have to say. I think that alone makes it worthwhile. Honor her. Honor her is also Honoring her is also showing that you're having grace for her. Honoring her will also show your children that you respect her and they will respect her. Ephesians 5, 25 to 30. This is a long one with a lot of things in it. So let's look at it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. To make it belong to God. He gave himself for it so to make it belong to God. Christ used the word to make the church clean by washing it with water. He died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all her beauty. He died so that the church could be pure without fault, with no evil or sin or anything wrong in it. In the same way husbands should in the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. The man who loves his wife loves himself. 
No one ever hated his own body, but feeds it and takes care of it. And that is what Christ did for the church, because we are part of his body. Love, like Christ loved the church. It's a big love that he was loving with there. It's shoes that we need to step in that we sometimes feel is just way too big for us to fall. You have to give up yourself, place yourself second, because that's how you're going to love and fill those shoes. You have to sanctify her. How do you do that? How do you sanctify your wife? By teaching her, by leading her, by directing her, by correcting her. And we need to know that when we correct, it's not to break down. It is to help her become better. Your intention with correction is so that you can become better. Not so that I am right and you are wrong. Cleanse her. How do I cleanse her? By the truth of the word. And I've underlined word because word is Jesus. It's not the Bible because it's easy to say the Bible says you must do this and this. But if I know Jesus, if I know his heart, I can reveal his heart to her. And by revealing his heart to her, I'm cleansing her and I'm feeding her with truth. And that truth will make her holy. And you cannot do that without Jesus and the Holy Spirit. You need Jesus to help teach you what the truth is and to show you how Jesus lived and loved and do the things that Jesus does so that you can reveal that to her so that she can love. Present her in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, holy without blemish, only with the help of the Holy Spirit. Can we do that? Because we are full of pride. We want to place ourselves first. We're selfish. And without Holy Spirit, we're just going to mess it up. So we're going to end it just there with the husbands. And just starting to see where we fit into this picture. How should I look at marriage? How should I look at um, my viewpoint on, on, on entering marriage? What should I learn if I'm preparing to be married one day? Am I checking myself up on all those points? And next time, we'll go into the woman, the bride, the more mature, and the children and we'll see what Father has to say about marriage there. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Please subscribe to our channel and make sure to click the bell notification button to get any notifications when we upload a new video. Stay blessed.